Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. He is on, but he's got one of our favorites with him. We'll get to him in just a couple of moments. But it is Doug Oster, Doug Oster.com, the organic gardener. It's all about you calling in now, early and often with those questions. So let me just tell you. Gardening questions, gardening questions. It's 866-391-1020, 866-391-1020. But if you would like to win, and who wouldn't, the $25 gift certificate to Sorgles out in Wexford, you've got to be the 10th caller, 412-922-1020. And now, here is Doug Oster. Doug. Good morning. I have a special guest this morning who I'll introduce you to in just a second, one of our favorite guests. But I got a little uh, housekeeping to take care of first. Today, come see the Gardening Santa at Han Nursery from 11 to 3 p.m. I checked it out yesterday, uh, you know, for Santa. There's a nice covered area there. So if it is raining, you don't have to worry about it. Families, kids, and especially pets. Like uh, Santa gets so many pets, uh, and it's all free. You know, bring a phone. We'll take some pictures, and it'll be fun. And Santa has... A wide variety of unique tomato seeds to give away from his private collection at the North Pole. Uh, many of these tomato varieties are not available commercially. They were sent to Santa from gardeners from all over the area, and there are others, too, that have come from seed companies. So today, 11 to 3, come see Santa for free. Now, next Saturday, I will be appearing at the Winter Market and Holiday Celebration from 1 to 3 p.m. in Uptown Mount Lebanon in front of Washington Elementary. And there I am giving away perpetual spinach seeds and some other surprises, too. And now it's time for our guest, Steve Rapaski. He's the owner of Bee Control and Meadowsweet Apiaries. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, gentlemen. So Steve, is. Uh, I brought him uh, out to the place, my place to look at the greenhouse to see because he has a fancy ladder, and I don't know how to get up there, but... <laughs> Uh, yesterday, I had an old friend come by, Rob Marshall. He works on greenhouses all over the area, and uh, he actually did a, a couple with Randy Sorgel, but all over the place. He, I've known him, I think, close to 20 years now, and I was so excited that he came out, looked at it. He's got a special ladder. Oh. I don't have to get up there on that. And I don't have to get up there. <laughs> on that glass. So they're, they're working on uh, the greenhouse, and I hope that gets fixed so that I can... Uh, you know, have a good winter in there and have some stuff growing. So sure. I wanted to first uh, ask you about, you know, when you're dealing with bees and other insects all summer long for bee control, what about spotted lanternfly? What was that like for you this year? They don't go away. Really? I mean, it's, I, I still get questions about it. We still get emails about them. Um, I compare that to we had one of the worst years ever for yellow jackets and the spawning lanternflies were right there with them i mean everywhere we turned there were lanternflies minus a few locations but um even now you know um around my house we're seeing them uh, where i keep my bees out at the airport we're we're actually noticing the egg masses now yeah and that's the thing that we really want to be focusing because the adults are gone i mean they died with the frost and everything but yeah i'm 
I'm, I'm at a loss for words. They're, they were just everywhere. Yeah, a friend of mine was at Falling Water, and she was talking to somebody there about uh, Spotted Lanternfly, and they're just like, oh, we're not worried. They're gone. And then she started showing them all the egg masses everywhere, you know. Egg masses, and, and even where I store my boat, you know, the their, their defecation that... Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah, the honeydew, honeydew yeah. then you get black mold on it and that's a pain in the butt to get off and it's just it's the gift that keeps on giving apparently yeah i had them up in a tree of heaven where that honeydew came down and turned into what is it it's like sooty, sooty, sooty mold, mold. Yeah. yeah and so you know a 10 foot ring around the bottom of the tree and this is a 50 foot yeah. tall tree yeah. so and it kills the vegetation below it too yeah. you know so it's they're a nuisance. I mean, they're a major nuisance. Certainly, they're an invasive where they're damaging hops and grapes and things like that. But uh, to the average homeowner, they're just a it's a major nu- nuisance. If it follows the the trajectory that we've seen in the east, it should be bad for a couple of years. But we can only hope it goes to yeah. that trajectory. Now, um, and you're right. I mean, it's you know I've talked to beekeepers out there who were in some aspects excited about it because they got honey from the honeydew um and the bees collected that and they did well over the winter what do you mean how does that work so um honeydew is a when when the spotted lanternflies feed on maple trees or whatever it is they can't process the sugars so when they defecate that waste has a high sugary content Hmm. which attracts your wasp and yellow jackets and honeybees well, in an area where there's a dearth or there's a lack of forage, the bees are collecting that much like they would go to a hummingbird feeder or something like that. The difference is honeydew can actually be processed into, quote unquote, honey. They sell it in Germany, right? Black forest honey oh. is actually from aphids. It's honeydew. Oh. So it, the bee, honeybees do well on it. sounds disgusting. <laughs> it can taste disgusting. Um, really? It's a, I'll have to bring some over to you. It's no, a, don't. <laughs> it's actually, some people really like it. There's a market for it in the eastern part of the state. Um, mm. Doomsday honey, they call it, on one of my beekeeper friends. <laughs> uh, but it's a smoky, I call it like burnt bacon type of a taste. So if you like burnt bacon, you might like it. But okay. um, So anyways, so they produce the honey. Um, so there's some positives to it, but... Yeah, they just are a major nuisance, and hopefully they'll crash in a few years. But I've seen some recent research that they're suspecting that it might be cyclic, kind of like our oh, stink bugs, where yeah. you get some big years and then nothing, and then big years and then nothing, which if we know, then at least we could prepare accordingly. The positive for the trees is it's, that it doesn't seem to be killing the trees. Not the mature trees, yeah. 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 And, and I've seen that research, too, where they can do some damage to the um, tree of heaven, Alanthus, which is... Their host tree, anyways, right. and it's invasive. So right. if they kill them, hey, go for it. Well, so. like you know, I've said this before. People have called me to their property to try and identify tree of heaven and remove it, and I'm like, don't do that, uh, because they're going to just go to your grapes or go to your maple tree. Or what do you think of that? Yeah, that's that's a double edged sword, right? Uh, depends on on what you do with that tree of heaven. Certainly, contacting um, you know Department of Agriculture. Um, Folks like Davy Tree, who have the, the the ways and means to to treat those trees, certainly you could remove that tree of heaven, but do it in a way that's going to impact the lanternfly too. So inject it with a, an insecticide potentially that will kill the lanternfly and then kill the tree. You know, so there's there's lots of ways to look at it. Um, certainly, you don't want to keep an invasive plant around, uh, but we certainly. You know, 
Integrated pest management is the best way I could describe it. You know, you have to ter- take certain steps to handle certain things in certain ways. And I think we're still kind of feeling our way with lanternflies, even though they've been in the state for almost 10 years. Well, let's talk about yellow jackets because, man, what a year mm-hmm. for yellow jackets. And Worst ever. Long season for yellow jackets. Yeah. And why is it at the end of the season they get so mad and mean? So <laughs> they're there for how long? Are they there from at start of frost or what? they can be? Yeah. So the the normal there's a biological time frame. Then there's Mother Nature's time frame, and um, with the biological time frame, they well like anything in Mother Nature, they know when winter's coming. So they go through a process. They ex- grow grow big, and as they start to get closer to winter, they raise lots and lots of queens. So they start to become defensive and aggressive in that aspect because they're protecting the queens. Then as they start to die off and they shrink down to just the queens, the ones that are surviving um, in terms of just worker yellow jackets and queens just become antsy because they know winter's coming. They might have had a cold snap or two, and they just – they're surviving. They're trying to survive. So they just get very, very grumpy. Even though the nest isn't active anymore – just yellow jackets are flying around, and I got lots of calls about that. And you said you could have worked through November, which is I could is have walked up rare. to Thanksgiving almost, yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, where I launch my kayak, now that all the leaves are off the trees, I get to see where those bald-faced hornets were, yet we never knew it during the season. How, now, how close you were to yeah, catch well, yeah. uh, A little pub down the road from me, I pulled in and I saw on their window a bald-faced hornet's nest and I went in and I talked to the uh, young woman. I was just like, you know, those are bald-faced hornets. Oh, yeah. He, he's going to go out tomorrow and take care of it. I said, what? <laughs> I said, those are mo- some of the most dangerous and vicious. You have to. And I went to the owner. I said, you got to get a pro to come out here and do that because yeah. you're going to end up in a world of hurt. Then the pro would happen to be this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's come to my house and done uh, yellow jackets for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's their their this year was a big year for everything and they are just everywhere. Yellow jackets specifically and you know that's two years in a row. Um, you know, if it happens a third time then we're seeing a trend and I think we're going to end up the way winter's looking so far, yeah. the predictions, yeah. we might be in for another busy year. Well, when we come back I want to talk a lot about honeybees, other pollinators and John hang in there uh, we will answer your question as soon as we come back from the break. 866-391-1020 good time to talk to Steve and Doug right now get on the line whatever's on your mind we'd love to hear from you. Don't miss out on important updates in Pittsburgh from breaking need to know news, weather alerts and more. Follow News Radio KDK on the Odyssey app now at AUDACY. So, Mr. Rapaski is here. All of those bees, hornets, wasps, those questions you need to know to prepare to plan everything you need. He's here. Give us a call, 866-391-1020. And that sweet honey, no doubt, we can talk about that. Great for gift-giving this time of year. And Doug wants to jump back in here for a couple of moments, then we're going to go right to the phones, all of those gardening questions as well. 866-391-1020. Doug. Just a note that Mrs. Know-It-All will be here a little later on to talk about Christmas trees. So let's talk to John. Thanks for holding on there, John. Hey, good morning. Hey, um, I took your advice on covering my fig tree with bags of compost. Mm-hmm. We've got my seven bags on. It's all covered up. Now, two questions. Um, when do I start to remove that in the spring? But more importantly, how long? I mean, that thing's going to grow. Can I continue to do that throughout its life? It seems like a pretty simple way to keep it outside and covered. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Uh, I mean, there are lots of different ways to do it. And and let me add that 
after I put my 10 bags on, I threw about a half a, maybe three quarters of a bale of straw on top of that too. Uh, oh, just, just, well, I have, oh, I can do that. Just to kind of get into those little corners. Cause there were little spots where I could see a stem coming out. Uh, well, <laughs> when we're off the air, I was talk, talking to Steve. He saw my post about, uh, covering my fig tree the last minute <laughs> it was supposed to be 19 that night but i do have still have one fig tree that i don't cover that i don't really care about it's still up and fine so it didn't perish in that cold uh but yeah throughout its its life this is the way i'm doing it my tree now is 10 12 feet tall and so oh, wow. yeah everything over that much at that distance i mean at that height oh yeah 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 it bends right over it now it, it a lot of times I'll cut the roots on the one side, and and so it kind of lifts up on its own. But this year I didn't have to do that. It's so flexible that, you know, the first time you do it, the first you get a bag on there, then you start adding bags, and that kind of flattens it out. And then, like, now with the straw on top and now with all this rain, the straw is going to be heavy. It's going to hold it to the ground. Now, I don't open mine up. And, again, everybody does this differently, but I don't want those leaves to experience frost. The leaves can't take frost. The stems can. And so I'm waiting until I'm pretty sure it's frost-free. And oftentimes it'll come out of dormancy with little figs on it. And you could get an early season of figs, which would be very exciting. Could get two two harvests of figs, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're looking at mid-May at least before we take the back. Maybe off. a little earlier. You know, you just got to watch the weather. Okay, I got you. All right. Thanks for your advice. Thanks for your call. All right, so let's talk a little bit about honeybees. Now, last winter was like this, you know, 40s, 50s. I was like, oh, this isn't even a winter. And then it goes to, like, wind chill 20-something below. What does that mean for our friends, the honeybees? Well, as you were talking to our caller there, it was – I was thinking back to they just changed re redesignated our growing zones again, right? Mm-hmm. So that is a is an indicator of how things are changing for sure. Now, honeybees certainly aren't as uh, susceptible to um, cold as some people think. I mean, w- we actually prefer to have a winter. You know, that give me low thirties, upper twenties, and snow, and it keeps the bees safer. It keeps them from consuming a lot of stores. Um, this up and down, cold, hot, cold, windy, rain, snow. Well, yesterday it was 63 degrees, yeah. and I drove through one of my yards at the uh, airport, and there just the bees were. It would be like some spring day, and that's actually I don't like seeing that because now they're wasting energy. There's the potential that they're going to start rearing brood early because normally they shut down uh, this time of year. To they conserve. were on uh, my winter hellebores. Yeah, and they yeah. were bringing in pollen. Yeah, yeah. so they're actively working, working. Which is... absolutely because it's nice out and that's that's yeah. what they do so you know this up and down stuff um actually makes it harder um on top of that you know from the beekeeping perspective a lot of people want to think that they need to insulate their hives from cold weather completely unnecessary here in southwestern pennsylvania now erie where they already had several inches of snow and it stays cold possibly but um our bees can handle it it does add more stress to them for sure um you know it it's just more work. I have to make sure they have more food. You know. Did you see any negative effects from that cold snap, or it was just no, the same as the year same before? Same as it, yeah. I mean, it's you know, you might catch a, if it drops too cold, you see the clusters can't condense fast enough, and you might see a few that die. But um, bees, not the whole t- whole yeah. colony, but 
it's it's just more stressful overall. I mean, it's you know, it's like us trying to do. Do we put our winter clothes away or do we take them back out of the closet? Do we, you know, I have like five jackets floating around the kitchen. My wife is <laughs> killing me because, you know, I don't know which jacket to wear what day because it's constantly today. Had to grab the rain jacket. But um, no, the bees are doing well. Honey bees are doing well. Um, despite you know, people still ask me about colony collapse disorder, and, and we haven't really seen that in probably ten years or so. Mm. Now it's just more about you know, the, we talk about the four P's. You know, your pests, your parasites, your poor nutrition. Um, pathogens, things like that. You know, habitat is still crucial. And, you know, you have all those hellebores up, which is great because if the bees are flying, at least let them have something to go work. And in that case, the, those hellebores so are flying for nothing. Yeah, you're wasting energy. So at least this way, they're bringing back pollen, um, and there's a, a cost benefit there, so to speak. So in general, honeybees doing better, doing worse. I think they're doing the fine. Same. Yeah, I think they're doing fine. You know, we we certainly have lots of beekeepers, um, and, and that's always going up, uh, which is can be, you know, a point of of argument for some folks. I mean, there's been some articles out there that are, you know, the the headlines are are there too many beekeepers? You well, know? then there's people like me. I'm not a good beekeeper. I want to have bees, but I'm not a good beekeeper. And I'm not a good gardener. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right though. I mean, and this is where we talk about you know a good friend of mine, Michelle, that has a Bloom Honey Water. She has this beeless beekeeping that she promotes, and it's it's basically what you guys do as gardeners, right? Planting for the season for the bees, and I'm not talking about just honey bees. Um, I'm talking about your, your natives, which we really want to focus on because the natives kind of the save the bees. Um, mantra is not focusing on honeybees, even though that's what the media wants. We want to be focusing on the natives because they're the most crucial. When we come back, that's where we'll go. We'll talk about that. And we will be back in just a couple of moments. So if you want to get in on the phone lines, 866-391-1020. Also within the half hour, Mrs. Know-It-All Christmas trees and more. Next hour, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, and meatloaf and more. It's comfort food on the Coons Cooking Hour on KDKA. All right, 10th caller right now wins a $25 gift certificate to Janoski's, where it's day two of their Christmas open house. You don't want to miss it in the best selection anywhere for all of your Christmas decorating. Again, 10th caller, 412-922-1020. Steve Rapaski is here. Tell everybody about that sweet nectar that you have just in time for the holiday season. Go yeah, our, our bee sweet honey from Meadowsweet Apiaries. Um, mm-hmm. The markets at Swickley have been hopping. Uh, we do the farmer's market there that's uh, every weekend from April through the middle of November, and uh, we take a short break for Thanksgiving, and then we're back at it once a month. The third weekend of um, every month, December, January, February, March, we'll be there from 9 to noon in the parking lot, and that's the that's the place to go. There'll be us plus probably 20 other vendors selling their goods, but um, that's the place where we sell our honey every year. And Soon, coming to the once the new terminal is built at the airport, we'll be selling our honey out there as well. Nice. No kidding. Yeah. Now, here's what's important: real honey, because people don't understand. And you taught me this that a lot of times in the store, it's not real honey. Well, the, you know, I have little stickers I got to start putting back on my labels. It says, you know, how do you know it's real honey if you don't know the beekeeper? And in this day and age, there's lots of honey being bought from many different places and uh, you know you could go and buy barrels of it from north dakota and package it and it's still real honey but it's not local um you know we always try to push the the local aspect you know support small business support your local beekeeper we don't make a lot of money um selling honey but it helps pay for the bees that we have to take care of when they're flying 362 out of the days out of the year so (laughs) it gets a bit a bit bit much but um yeah honey's great for you it's um 
you know, usually we have two or three varieties or sometimes four, depending on what the bees do. But, uh, yeah, we're at the Swickley Farmer's Market and uh, um, every weekend during the, during the season. So let's talk a little bit about pollinators where we left off. You know, uh, what can gardeners do to help pollinators? Now, we're, we've talked about honeybees, but all our native pollinators – you know, they need help too. Absolutely. And it's that whole beeless beekeeping type of thing is, you know, you could, you could support bees in general without being a beekeeper. And, and again, that save the bees mantra is, is great. And for somewhere along the lines, don't get me wrong, I'm a beekeeper and, and beekeeping is great. And I don't want to say that you shouldn't be a beekeeper, but certainly there's a lot, we need to focus more on helping just pollinators in general, right? So as a gardener, you know, planting for the season, a continual growth spectrum, you know, stuff that, you know, you have your winter hellebores and then, you know, the crocus in the spring, and then it just goes on. What You know, every month of the year, you should have, try to have something blooming. And the way our winters are going, you can have something blooming. Um, so certainly planting uh, a variety for different, because different pollinators go after different plants. And, um, you know, the butterflies are, you know, some plants are using for laying eggs, some they're, they're using for nectar sources. And the same thing for all of our little native bees, you know, whether it's a, a, a green sweat bee or a minor bee or whatever it may be, uh, no pun intended, we need to also think about how we handle our garden in the winter. You know, when do we clean up our debris? When do we rake up our leaves in our yard? Um, where do we put all that stuff and then clean it up in the springtime? Because those are all places where some of these insects, the queens are hibernating, they uh, might be nesting. Um, you know, there's all these different factors that we so have to we, come into play. When we leave that per- perennial garden up, you know, leave all that stuff up for mm-hmm. the winter, when do we cut it down? When do we start raking those leaves out? How warm does it have to be? Yeah, so, you know, for my, it all depends on what you have going on in that bed as well, right? So I have um, a couple of little beds that are uh, Maximilian sunflowers and uh, some coreopsis and, um, oh boy, you, you can't, you know, there's a whole bunch of different flowers in there. It, it's an eyesore right now. Um, in fact, <laughs> I looked at it the other day. I was like, wow, is that ugly? I mean, it's just all dead yeah. dead branches and stuff like that. I guess it depends. The beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Well, I, and that's, I, I like that. I, I like seeing that. Yeah, exactly. And I don't mind it. One, I don't have to clean it up right away. But secondly, it's you know benefiting the pollinators. But yeah, I usually wait until I start seeing some of the green pop through on the bottom. You know, in the springtime. So you're talking mid-April usually. Uh, and that's a lot of times when our early native pollinators are coming out, some of the mason bees, you know, late March, early April. At that point, then I'll clean up and, and move things away. And even then, I don't throw it away. I, it just goes in the back of the of the yard in a pile because if there is any insects right. that are still coming to, um, they have their a way out and they're not in a garbage bag somewhere. Yeah, I put them on, like, kind of tie them, all those stems together and put them on top of the compost yeah, pile. And exactly. hopefully something will hatch out of there. Uh, yeah. In general pollinators in decline or do we know no they're in decline you know yeah. native poll- native pollinators are still in decline and again it goes back to that we're we're re-educating the general public that the save the bees is not just about honeybees and hun- it's understandable because honeybees are kind of the the romantic yeah i think but uh with the natives um you know I, numbers of customers that i've gone to this year who called about an issue and you explain the, the life cycle and why they're beneficial and how they're going to go away. And you get that call back six weeks later and they say, hey, those those bees that were in my ground that you said were harmless are gone. And it's great. So we have to educate. Um, and it's, but it's not, 
you know, the decline is again to those same four Ps, you know, the, the pesticide use, the, the lack of habitat, you know, that's, and some of the stuff that the bees or honeybees are dealing with is being transferred to these native bees, you know, like mites, mites you know, yeah. deformed wing virus is one of them that they're finding in bumblebee populations. Now our bumblebee populations were down this year. Um, it, and it's, and it's an ever changing environment for these native insects. So it's a real struggle. And, um, the biggest thing is, you know, put up these little you know, native bee houses, you know, encourage those types of insects and, and, and try to fill in those niches of, of, of missing pollination because honeybees can't do it all and, and they won't do it all. We need those butterflies. We need the digger bees and the minor bees and the mason bees and the sweat bees. And, and a lot of those natives are really good pollinators. They're right? fantastic. Yeah. yeah, they're efficient, uh, but they're also not a high density, right? So you're talking two or three yards, house yards, you know, so you might have a hundred meter radius, whereas honeybees can travel two or three miles. Some of these, you know, you're benefiting your garden locally, literally. I mean, your neighbor across the street may not benefit from that. So it's um, it's a struggle, and, and you can't think – you have to think outside the box and how to do these types of things, you know, planting a, a border around your yard, you know, that's just flowers, um, taking that corner that you always hate mowing and, and transforming it, and also thinking a stand, from a standpoint of, like, as we talked about, continuous growth month to month – um, winter habitat, nesting habitat, foraging habitat, and there's a lot of great information out there. It's just kind of sorting through it and, and deciding what's going to work best in your environment. And what about choosing natives to grow for pollinators as opposed to Asian species? Sure. Well, I mean, all these invasive non-natives are, are certainly, they have a role, whether we like it or not. You know, Japanese knotweed is one of those. I mean, it's invasive as can be. Makes a great honey, mm-hmm. fantastic honey. Um, Japanese knotweed and spotted lanternfly. And well, spotted lanternfly. A, and, a team made in heaven. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> uh, spotted knapweed, you know, is another one. You know, some of the stuff that's been brought in unintentionally. And and on the flip side of that is we have stuff like crown vetch, which is also everywhere, but doesn't do anything for any pollinator yeah. anywhere. Um, you know, one way you could support it too is they, uh, Pennsylvania has a, a new license plate out, support pollinator conservation, you know, and that's a good way to support, you know, that's money's going to be used. We are working with PennDOT, Penn State, uh, the State Beekeepers Association to basically allocate those funds to plant native pollinators in medians, highways, rest stops, you know, to fill in those types of gaps. Natives are always the way to go. They can be a little bit more difficult to establish, but the beauty of them and the, the, the survivability of them, the hardiness. Don't need as much water. Of course, the you know, since they've been here forever, the Absolutely. pollinators work well with them. Potentially more resistant to mm-hmm. disease and pests. And, you know, there's a natural ecosystem that's there. And, you know, what to plant is up to you, what you want to produce, you know, or what attract. You know, are you butterflies or? You know, when you talk about education real quick, it's just anything that's a flying insect. Sometimes people are just like, I, I got to get rid of it. I don't care. Get rid of it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it doesn't matter sometimes what you tell them if it's, if it's a good thing or not, they want it gone. And, and that's the nature of the beast when it comes to, you know, society and what we're dealing with. But, uh, you know, mason bees, I can't tell you, you know, they like those little cracks in the mortars on your deck where you want to be sitting out in those first nice days of spring. And, Education goes a long way, but it's an uphill battle for sure, and and not everybody appreciates them. And 
I get that. Um, but we got to find those people that do appreciate them and, and encourage them to support those populations. All right. After the break, it's you know who, Mrs. Know-it-all. All right. Stay with us. It is your Pratt Pack for a Sunday, KDKA. Curtain comes up. It's that time. Time for Denise Schreiber. That's Mrs. Know-it-all, our favorite horticulturalist. And she wants to talk what? About Christmas trees, Denise? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody's going out and chopping down their tree and, you know, getting ready to bring it into the house. And, you know, my Aunt Margie loved a good Christmas tree. And when she would buy a tree, she'd get it home, put it out on the back porch, and take a hose and hose it off. Because, one, if you're chopping it down and bringing it back to the center where they wrap it up for you, you know, you're dragging it through mud and dirt and leaves and whatever. And this way she kind of cleaned it all up before she brought it into the house. It doesn't take away the fragrance of the tree. And then, of course, you've seen on the news, people are, you know, getting the tree into the house. And think of uh, Christmas vacation and the squirrels in the tree and come shooting out. But on the news recently, a woman said, uh, had her tree, and here it had a uh, nest of praying mantis. <laughs> and because it was warm and the lights from the tree, and they hatched, and she had thousands of praying mantis in her house just going. Happy holidays. <laughs> oh, yeah, kind of freaking everybody out. And there was another woman who had spiders hatch. They were all over the place, too. Mm. So it's always a good idea to kind of clean up the tree before you bring it into the house. In fact, when you're cutting it down, kind of look around to see if anything or anybody's in there, like a nest or what, <laughs> a squirrel. Um, do you still have? Then, do you still use a live tree? No. Uh, my trees have actually been up since uh, the week after Thanksgiving. Uh, Halloween. Um, and how many, how many, trees. how many trees? It's five. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And they never, and I keep my house warm. That's one thing. If you have a live tree, it's best to keep your temperature around 66 in the house or at least in that room and close the heater vents so, you know, it doesn't dry out. Mm -hmm. When you get it home, you really need to make a second cut and take off a couple of inches off the bottom and put it in fresh water immediately. There's products you can put in, uh, you know, that uh, it's called Christmas tree, something or another, and it has food for the tree, and at the same point, you know, keeps it going. You know, you don't have needles dropping immediately. I know people use bleach and water and mm. sugar and everything. You know, you really shouldn't. It's not the best thing. Do you really want to spill bleach on your floors, too, as you're getting it? And they now make, I saw them last week. I was in Ohio, and they have kind of a wall-type thing, half thing, that you put around the base of the tree. A, it makes it look more dressed up. And B, if you have curious animals like cats and dogs, who will lick anything, it protects them from getting to this formula. Yeah, good stuff. You going to have a uh, real tree, Steve? I am. Yeah, we always yeah. get one. Yeah. Definitely. 
All right. Don't forget, the Gardening Santa is out there today at Han Nursery from 11 to 3 p.m. Free pictures for families, kids, and pets, and giving away some very unique and rare tomato seeds next Saturday, Mount Lebanon, from 1 to 3. And as always, Joe, I'm sorry I didn't get to your question today, but I'm answering questions after the show at DougOster.com. Send me your question there. And... I'm taking people to the National Parks of America. That is uh, filling up pretty quick. If you're interested in seeing the National Parks this summer, go to DougOster.com. And, Steve, I really appreciate you coming out here. I know you're headed for Alaska later on today. (laughs) Yeah, leaving here in about 12 hours. So I appreciate the opportunity again, Doug. It's always fun to come in and see everybody and talk. Uh, Help those pollinators, right? Can't do enough to help them. Plant, 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 stop cleaning up so early and, you know, keep things around as long as possible. And I'm glad that the uh, the bees are doing a little better after uh, that colony collapse disorder was scary. It was scary and it got it got drug on by the media for a little bit. But I mean, there's still issues. Absolutely. But we need to, you know, we need to focus on stuff. Remember, organic gardeners, you make our world brighter and safer with each seed you sow and every garden you grow. All right, good stuff, Steve and Doug. Stay with us. News at 8 with, of course, David Ballarado. Then Frank Dentici and I on the Coons Cooking Hour are talking all about your favorite comfort food. That's just minutes away with your Pratt Pack today for a Sunday. KDKA, 100.1 FM, AM 1020. Good morning.